Yeah, you know, it's very easy for someone like me to get caught in the way of thinking where it's like, everyone today is just a subtle variation of an ancient archetype. And, you know, we're basically this class of character who wears different clothes and uses different technology, but we're still the same old archetype. You know, almost like you live in this world of tabletop RPG characters, classes of characters. I'm the knight. I'm the mage. Or you get Jungian where it's like, oh, the old man, the the trickster, and the the crone. You know, while that's true, you know, those exist. Sometimes I have to remind myself that there are new variations. There are new archetypes that emerge. Or at least they might not be new archetypes, but they might be, I just might not be able to, to figure out what they are yet. And I think a good example of this is the hospital nurse who listens to hip-hop while driving her hatchback Prius. Using a little alliteration. I know I know how you feel about alliteration. There's nothing like a little bit of alliteration. Alliteration sucks. Alliteration sucks. No, the hospital nurse who listens to hip-hop while driving her hatchback Prius. That's my my little limerick. I don't even know what a limerick is. I don't even know what a limerick is, but that's one. I just I just wrote one. But that's a real thing. I, I'll notice it sometimes, and I just finally put words to it tonight. I was on a little walk, and I heard the thumping of bass. I heard a car listening to hip-hop. Not a deep... You know, because the thing is, the hospital nurse who listens to hip-hop while driving her hatchback Prius, she doesn't have a super loud subwoofer. You hear it. You can hear the bass of the beat. A little more alliteration, the bass of the beat. Uh, But you can hear it. But it's not loud. It's not shaking anything. You just, you hear a car and you're like, somebody's listening to hip-hop. Which is what they want you to think. Literally what they are trying to communicate to the world when you can hear the bass is, somebody's listening to a little hip-hop, huh? They want somebody to know that they are cool and they listen to hip-hop with loud enough bass that you can hear it. But every time lately I feel like I hear that, you know, it used to be you hear that and you turn around and you're like, oh, a young man is driving by. Oh, a young man is driving by listening to rap. That used to be the case. And so I still kind of expect that. But now whenever I turn my head to see who it is, it's always a hospital nurse who just got off duty pulling into her driveway. Sometimes with takeout food, sometimes with groceries. You know, I don't hang around and watch them, but... You know, I do a lot of walking. I notice things. I pay a lot of attention. Enough to notice these patterns. And and there's this, there's something like very celebratory about it, which, you know, we all know they're hospital heroes. We know, that we know nurses are heroes. If in the last year, the age of the coronavirus pandemonium pandemic, if you haven't learned that nurses are heroes, what have you been doing? No, but really, good for them. I think they deserve to celebrate getting off of their shift. But it's interesting that that's a new type of person that has emerged. They almost always drive a hatchback Prius. And they listen to hip-hop at a loud enough volume that you know they're listening to hip-hop, but it's not crushing. Because that's a big difference between the the way that men use subwoofers and the way that women use subwoofers. Men use them aggressively. And I can tell you, it's not just subwoofer. It's like anybody who's listening to music loud in their car is doing it so that you have to hear it. It's an act of aggression. Like, I can tell you from my own POV that... Any time that I've ever cranked the music, like not just had the windows down and listened to music at a you know a decent, decently loud volume, but any time that I've cranked the music, and I've never had a subwoofer. That'd be funny if I did. It'd be funny to imagine me with a subwoofer. Uh, but uh, I'd just be laughing. If I had a subwoofer, I'd be the one who f- finds it funniest of all. I just I'd be like the Tex Avery wolf driving around like a maniac with a subwoofer, just laughing. I'd be the scariest person in town. They'd be like, oh my God, we can hear him coming. Not only can we hear his subwoofer, but we can hear his cackle. No, but anytime that I've cranked the music in my car, especially with the windows down, it's been an act of aggression. 
Not like I'm looking for a fight, but I'm looking to subject people to my experience. Be like, I'm listening to this music and I'm feeling a little high off of it. And I want you to experience it too. Whether you love it or hate it, I want to subject you to this. And I had this realization, kind of a little epiphany when I was younger, when I, I heard somebody with a subwoofer and I said, oh, war drum. That's a war drum. You, know, you think about a war drum and it's just kind of this thud that you can hear from quite a ways away. And many different human beings in many different places used war drums, and they used them similarly. A very resonant, low-end thud. And it's intended to, you know, it's to signify that there's somebody here who might give you trouble. Or who you shouldn't want to mess with. And that's what a subwoofer is communicating too. Because all you can hear from it, like you never, when someone has a loud subwoofer, and I don't mean this to be an old man, like, here's the problem with subwoofers. Because that used to be a big talking point. Subwoofer, like people having problems with subwoofers used to be, like people just gave up on that. Conservatives just gave up on the subwoofer argument. Kind of like they gave up on the seatbelt laws argument. Like I was talking about that a while back, how my biological grandfather, who my mom didn't know, but he was her biological dad, was a... Turns out he was didn't just work for a newspaper, but he was an editorialist, and all he did is rant. All he did, like I have a collection of his writing, and all he did is rant. And, I, and half of them are about seatbelt laws. And it's like, it's so funny to me how all I do is rant, you know, and... When I read, even though I, I didn't want to like this guy, because he wasn't involved in my mom's life, I want to be prejudiced toward him. He's, he's long dead. Prejudiced toward my long dead biological grandfather, who, you know, my mom didn't know. He was never a part of her life. His mom was, though, which is interesting. But they never told my mom that that was her grandma. It was just Mrs. Sherman. We're, we're taking you, you know, my mom grew up in poverty, like poor farming family, but they would take her to this woman's house who was, you know, a little bit higher class, and they'd be like, oh, we're taking you to Mrs. Sherman's house, you know, for, for lunch today. And this woman took an active interest in my mom's life, and she never really understood who this woman was or why this woman was so interested in her life, and they corresponded well into the 1970s after my sister was born. I found a letter from this woman who, it turns out, was my biological grandmother. Like, think about that. Like, I, here I am talking about her. I'm saying, this woman, this is my blood. And what a wonderful woman to actively take a part in my mom's life, even though the circumstances at the time didn't allow her to acknowledge that it was her granddaughter. But she still took the initiative, even though her son, who wasn't some loser, he was, a you know, a successful guy. But you also learn... You know, empathy is a word that's been abused, but I have empathy for this biological grandfather who, do I want to say he abandoned my mom? I don't know. My mom didn't seem to hold any deep grudge against him, and I had a conversation with her before she passed where we talked about him, and I was like, you know, your mom was bipolar and abusive to, like, some of the kids, not my mom, which is itself a form of abuse. You know, being abusive to, like, two out of seven kids is itself a form of abuse to the kids who you don't hit because they know they don't get hit. And there were multiple fathers involved, so it's like, I don't know if that was a reason why some kids got hit. But anyway, my mom's mom, you know, and she had experienced all kinds of trauma. You know, there's there's always a story to some, why someone is the way they are. But I asked my mom, I was like, do you think that it wasn't possible for him to to be a part of your life because of your mom, because you, I mean, you told me yourself how she was and you know, it's, it's not an excuse for him not being a part of your life, but it was just kind of like, and she was like, you know, that very well might be true. And I, I didn't mean to launch into all this strange family history. Cause my point was, is just that my biological grandfather just ranted and raved every week in the newspaper and it was his job. And I guarantee you if he had lived long enough and he didn't, but if he had lived long enough, 
I'm sure that his rants would have eventually touched upon subwoofers just like mine right now. But subwoofers, it's kind of like a, kind of like a irrelevant now. Like I haven't heard somebody say, eh, these kids and their subwoofers. I haven't heard that in a long time. Maybe I just don't go to the right, uh, maybe I don't go to the old man coffee the old man cafe where they talk about that. <laughs> I don't I don't participate in, in the right coffee circles to hear those conversations. But it used to be a thing you hear all the time where everybody had something to say about subwoofers in the 90s and early 2000s. And it's not even like I'm anti-subwoofer, but I just recognize them for what they are, which is war drums. It's a way for men to communicate some kind of aggression even if it's not meant to be like violent aggression, like I'm looking for a fight, which it's not, not always, sometimes it is. It's at least just letting you know, like, I'm a man, and that's my war drum, and don't mess with me or my family, don't mess with me and my boys. Because me and my boys, we don't, uh, we don't bet with nickels and dimes, we bet in steak dinners. When I lose a bet with my boys... I owe them all a steak dinner. That's how me and my boys are. Because I got a subwoofer, and that's a war drum. That's what they're communicating. This is my war drum. It's a war drum. But that's not what the hospital nurse who listens to hip-hop in her hatchback Prius is doing. I think she just feels... she's, She's happy to be off her shift... She's happy to have some takeout sitting on the front seat. Whatever she's listening to, whatever hip-hop she's listening to, it's not gangster rap. Maybe it is. If she, you know, if she's a, a Gen Xer or, a, or a, a main millennial like me, she listens to some gangster rap out of nostalgia. But I think a lot of those hospital nurses who listen to hip-hop in their hatchback Priuses, I think they, they also listen to the new stuff, which I don't know about. I don't know about the new stuff. But it just shows me that there's there's new archetypes emerging or those hospital nurses are an old archetype that has simply evolved in a way that I don't even recognize them. I, I should say that to them. When I'm hanging around watching them pull into their driveway, thinking about how they're this modern archetype, I should wait around long enough to talk to them and say, hey, you know what? I don't even recognize what archetype you are. You know, I should I should hang around and do that. No, no more to say about that. I could go on. Uh, you know, I already talked. I mean, I, I just told you half my family history. I just told you what I think about subwoofers that they are war drums, and when a when a man listens to music at a level that you can't possibly avoid it, where you are subjected to whatever they're listening to, it's an act of aggression. And I say that because that's the only reason I've ever blasted music. Again, not just listening to music loud, but listening to it so loud that other people are subjected to it. You know, because I don't like to control the jukebox. That's something that's strange about me, is you'd think that I would. I'm so opinionated about music. I, I apparently do an online music radio show every night to school. Is, does every night to a school night still exist? Is that show still around? I feel like whoever listens to this would know better than I. I feel like other people would be able to answer that question better than I can answer it. Do I still do my, my radio show? feels like it's been forever. I should do one. They've be, those have kind of become a ritual. Every night to school night is kind of like a, a quarterly ritual. It's like some old pagan ritual that I just have to do every once in a while. It's like celebrating Christmas or something. Because the reality is it's a little too structured for me. Every night to school night is a little too structured for me at this point. It's like a handrail. It's like walking around with a handrail next to you all the time. I love doing it. I genu- Every time I do one, I'm, I'm excited that I've done one. And I will always do them as long as I'm doing this show. I think I'll always do every night to school nights. But more and more, it seems anachronistic, to use a fancy word. It's just like some old ritual that's purpose isn't really clear anymore, but you just have to do it because you've always done it. But it's a little too structured. I, You know, what I like about doing night schools is can do them all the time. I don't watch TV. I don't watch movies. Instead, I just talk. So I just talk. 
And uh, what I like about night school is just it's completely unhinged and it goes everywhere. It's a mess. I, what I like about doing this show is it's a complete mess and I can do it whenever I want. Right before bed, when I wake up, when I'm on a walk, it doesn't matter. It makes no difference. It's unhinged. But I don't like to control the jukebox, believe it or not. I don't like to DJ. Even though I do an online radio show, I've been doing one a long time. When I'm in a social environment, I really don't like the pressure of controlling the music. I don't actually like to subject people to my taste, believe it or not. It makes me uncomfortable. And I think I have good taste. I think I have great taste. But I don't like to subject people to it. It's weird. And I have friends who have DJed. I have friends who like to be the jukebox controller. And I like that they like to be the jukebox controller, especially if they have good taste, because it means one less thing for me to worry about. I did buy a a vape. I did buy another puff bar. I waited two weeks, but I got one tonight. Because Rob Bresney told me in my horoscope today... In my weekly Rob Brezny, Brezny, Brez, you say Brezny, I say Brezny. Uh, I think it's a Z, an S and a Z and an N and a Y. I think that's like a Ezhny sound. I don't know, though. Uh, but now that he's over his Trump derangement syndrome, I feel like he's a little easier to, to take in. I like Rob Brezny. I really do. He's a dork, but so am I, and, and you know I appreciate him. But in my horoscope for this week... My Capricorn horoscope, free will astrology, he said, if you haven't been doing tons of self-care lately, you should be now. He used the word self-care, which uh, I've gone off about that enough. Got to find another phrase. If you want to sell self-care to the people that you think need self-care the most, you're going to have to find a new word, a new phrase other than self-care. That term is tainted. How about relax? How about R&R? Remember that term? The military term? The people who you think need to practice self-care. I think you need to practice a little self-care. The people who you think need to practice self-care, just tell them it's time for a little R&R and they'll know exactly what you mean. I love how people come up with these ideas and they think it's brand new. Oh, you need to hold space for yourself and do uh, practice a little self-care. You need to practice a little self-care. You know, people who say that, it's like, just tell them R&R. Rest and recuperation. If, if that's even what it stands for. Is that what it's, the military R&R stands for? That's what I thought. Rest and recuperation. It's Ever heard of that? Ever heard of, oh, you need to relax a little bit. It's funny how we come up with these buzzwords and we treat them like they are the word for this thing that we've always done. R&R. You know, it's funny, though, but Rob Bresney, he he said self-care, because, of course, he's one of those types of people, you know. I like him, but he is one of those types of people who will say things like that. And you know what? I'm doing exactly that, because you know what? He's darn right. I do think this week in particular, right now in particular, I do think I need to... On one hand, I've been working out a lot, which I need to do, and I'm not going to stop doing that. But other than that, like I've been, I've been going to the grocery store like every other day and just buying a few things, which is my normal routine. Like as an adult, that's what I do. I'm never one of these people who goes to the grocery store on Sunday and buys everything I'm going to need for seven days. I'm very much, uh, I'm going to go to the grocery store just whenever I feel like it. I don't have a family. I'm not obligated to, I don't have kids. I can go to the grocery store whenever I want and just get two things, five things. But I've been doing that all week. I've just been like, I'm going to go to the grocery store and buy a couple things. Nothing bad. You know, I did buy this puff bar. I've been drinking a lot of Diet Pepsi, too. You know, I bought some bangs and things like that. Those, you know, those, I don't know if those count as self-care. I don't know if those count as R&R. They're all things that are bad for you. When I said you needed to practice self-care, I didn't mean drink aspartame. When I said you needed... I told you you needed to practice self-care this week, and now you're, you're drinking something with aspartame in it. People get so serious about aspartame. 
I don't drink enough diet soda to worry about aspartame, or as I call it, as a part of me. Aspartame is a part of me. Aspartame as a part of me. No, but I don't drink enough diet soda lately. I mean, this week. Oh, you drank three diet Cokes, three diet Pepsis this week. You're going to die from aspartame poisoning. They'll talk about that very seriously. Meanwhile, they'll just like eat a tub of ice cream. Like the person who eats a whole pizza to themselves and then follows it up with a tub of ice cream is preaching to you about aspartame. Sure, it's weird. All these chemicals are weird. If you haven't noticed, everything's weird. If you haven't noticed, everything is weird. And when you notice that everything is weird, suddenly everything becomes really normal. The things that you thought were so weird become very normal when you realize everything's weird. Because they become synonymous. But that's just how it goes. When you realize everything is something... It becomes its opposite, too. Didn't even get anything. I puffed on the wrong end. I puffed on the wrong end, so give me a second. No, I mean, the goal... I don't want to continue this, like, puff bar drama... Because I find it really uninteresting, and therefore you probably find it even less interesting to talk. It's a, oh, dear diary. Today I've, I I waited two weeks, but I bought my other vape today. I want I really wanted to buy a vape two weeks ago, but I I decided to buy one today instead. Dear diary. Uh, no, but the goal is to not get addicted to nicotine, but to have a little something to just indulge myself with. I just need a little something. That's the thing. Is at the end of the night, you need a little something. And, uh, you know, I don't drink anymore, obviously, and, you know, weed is very touch-and-go. So sometimes you you need a aspartame and a puff bar. And that's what your granddaddy had, too. <laughs> that's what your granddaddy had, too. I, I find the whole traditional movement very funny. It's it's picked up a lot of steam in the last few years, and I, actually, I like it because I like old things. I do. You know, I, I like old aesthetics. I like older architecture, as everybody should. But it's funny to me that it becomes so fetishistic that it's no longer the thing that it's trying to be. Like young women today who are like, they've, they went to liberal arts college and, and now they're like, you know what, that wasn't for me, which it wasn't for me either. But they're like, they, they indulge in all of the things that progressive culture sort of presented to them and they realized it wasn't working for them. So now they're like, I just want to be a housewife and a Christian and good for them. But it's funny that that itself is, is more of a fetish than it is just a part of life for them. It's sort of like when I talk about neo-pagans, it's exactly the same thing. And it's no coincidence that neo-paganism is is a long-standing form of fetishizing tradition. But in the same way, neo-pagans are like, we're, we're only going to do this by candlelight, and we're going to wear animal furs, and we're going to speak in the language of our ancestors. And it's like your pagan ancestors who were doing that were using modern technology to do their pagan rites. It only seems magical and ancient to you because it's old technology now. Like that candle that they they had uh, put on top of an animal skull. That was their current technology then. That was their smartphone. That was their nature phone back then. Their robes of animal fur. While they, there might have been something ritualistic about certain garb. That was also just the clothes they had. You know, wearing you know, a coat made of animal fur for your neo-pagan ceremony in 2021 seems especially poignant now because you buy all your clothes at Target. I do. I buy all my clothes at Target. But, uh, you know, it seems especially poignant now to be like, oh, I'm going to don a headdress and animal fur. And while there might have been something about that particular ritual garb, 
500 years ago, all their clothes were made out of animal skin. So it was current technology. It's just the, the funny thing about people who call upon tradition is that they end up fetishizing tradition, which real traditional people don't do. Like, girls who grew up in households where their dad drives an F-250 and he's a successful enough contractor that they were able to get front row tickets to the Blue Collar Comedy Tour in 2003... Like those girls don't think like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to go to church and, and get a nice husband because I'm all about tradition. I like, even though that's just built into their life. They're not like getting online being like, like bragging about it. They're just like posting pictures of their wedding. It's just funny how that works, you know, and, and good for them though. Honestly, good for them because that's a better option than a lot of things available today. Tradition is is better than a lot of your other options. You know, it really is. It's just funny how when someone has strayed from tradition, tradition becomes a fetish. In the same way that I've talked about before. Like, if all you do is hang around weird, artsy people, it becomes attractive. Like, being a normal person becomes attractive. You know, and, and even I've played into that a little bit. Like when I told my artsy girlfriend, like, how does it feel to have a boyfriend who, who's wearing a, a baseball hat with the same sports logo on it as that spare tire cover across the street on that Jeep? I remember pointing that out to her. I was like, how does it feel to, to see the same logo on your boyfriend's football hat as, as the symbol that's on that random Jeep over there? You know, you end up kind of celebrating normalcy when you're surrounded by weirdness. When you're surrounded by so-called alternative people, you you know, being normal becomes breaking the rules. Because rules do get established, even among rebels, even among, uh, you know, alternative crowds, among everybody. And so you can understand why people who have been surrounded by pseudo-rebellion in culture for the last few decades. I mean, you could say since the 1960s, and we've just gotten the backwash of that. But still, you know, this idea of being the rebel has been celebrated in youth culture, for one, for decades now. And so it was only natural that people would eventually go, oh, no, you know, I'm going to be traditional. But meanwhile, they're going to go about it in this roundabout way that ends up being kind of fetishistic. But fake it till you make it. Those people, you know, once they start families and go to church for 20 years, they'll just be that thing. They'll just be that very thing. You see men doing it a lot, too. Or you can see the way that there, there are whole movements now among young men of being like the traditional man. Like, I'm going to look like a Greek statue. I'm going to look like a Greek statue today. You know, it's good for you if you can do that. But it's just funny how it's this roundabout way, and, and you're not actually the thing that you're trying to be. You're fetishizing that thing. Which is one reason why it's like, I accept modernity. You know, I, I'm not saying that I'm better than these people or anything, because uh, I think they're actually, and I, like I said, I think that they are, I think they're pursuing something more worthwhile than maybe other options. Uh, but I myself, like, I don't reject modernity. I guess I, I try not to have any illusions about the time in which I was born, who I am, and where I live. You know, I'm not a European. Like, while I'm a European-American, and that means something to me, while my heritage means something to me, I'm not a pagan European living a rustic lifestyle. Little pieces of that work into my life. You know, I'm a pagan in my own way, for sure. I embrace a certain level of paganism. But it's funny because my, you know, I've explained it on here before, but like my version of paganism probably wouldn't meet most people's definitions of paganism. Because to me, paganism now includes all of these things that are considered the antithesis of paganism. Like speaking of every night's a school night, my pagan ritual of a, of a radio show, 
you know, I did that episode during Christmas, which was like both a pagan and a Christian hybrid show. And one of the reasons I did that is because Christianity has actually become a pagan religion. And I know somebody would say that that's a contradiction or that doesn't make any sense. And maybe someday I'll, I'll have better words to describe why I think that. But part of it has to do with the fact that the popularity of Christianity has been just dipping. And the things that we consider pagan religions today, or the things that we have considered pagan religions for a while, they were once just the religion of the people. You know, everybody in the tribe believed in those things. So they might as well have been just like Christianity has been in you know, America in the last couple hundred years. And what makes those, you know, what makes those pagan religions esoteric and interesting to people is the fact that they, they dipped in popularity to the point where we just associate with something archaic, something decorative, a certain aesthetic, something we can role-play as, because that's what a lot of neo-pagans are doing. They might as well be at a Renaissance fair, and a lot of them are. Do they actually believe in the things they're talking about? Like, yeah, you can. You probably know all the names of the runes. You probably know all the names of the gods more than I do. You'd probably think I'm a poser, because I can't remember the name of all the runes. But, uh... One of the reasons why I see Christian, if not, you know, it's not a pagan religion yet, but why I see it heading there, why I think it's moving in that direction is because it is losing popularity. It is becoming more esoteric. You know, this movement of new Christians that has emerged from people who otherwise never would have identified themselves as Christians. What's interesting about it is they seem to be attracted to the mysticism. Well, some of them, it's a practical thing. Like, they're like, oh, my life will be better if I read the Bible and go to church. And I don't think a lot of them go to church, but a lot of them are like, if I you know, dig into the Bible a little bit, and people like Jordan Peterson have made some of these things attractive to people too. And I think he's a good example of he's made it attractive to people in more practical terms. Like, if you listen to this thing, it'll make your life better. Whereas for me, like, I'm much more attracted to the mysticism in Christianity. But there is a lot of practical, you know, there, there is actually a lot of practical material to work with in it as well. But I see that's a certain sort of person who looks at it that way. But I, I look at it from more of a mystical pagan point of view. And I think as Christianity becomes less and less popular with broader, the broader Western, Western, Western world, Western world, I see it becoming like a pagan religion. And the people I see as new Christians are approaching it in that way. I think that they are attracted to it in the same way that people are attracted to older pagan religions. I really believe that. And I hope someday I'm able to explain it better. But guess what? I'm not looking to write an academic paper about it. It's just my little observation here. And I'm attracted to Christianity as well. I mean, I have been for many years, but it's, obviously I've I, I read the Bible for the first time, you know, in 2018 from front to back, and I, I'm still reading it every night. I'm in the book of, Pro, uh, book of Proverbs. And you know what? It's funny. Reading it the first time, there's a lot that I glossed over. Reading it the first time, I read it in the span of a month, so I was reading it often. And it was, they were like intense little study sessions, but I, I wasn't able to retain or really think about a lot of it as I was reading it, because I was reading so much of it. And my life, I was in the middle of moving. I was in the middle of moving from my house of seven and a half years, and it was a period of good upheaval, but nonetheless upheaval. So I was reading the Bible while I was doing that, and I finished it on Halloween 2018 in my empty house. Halloween... 2018 was the last day that I officially had the keys to my old house. And so I was sitting on the bare floor 
And, you know, when you move everything out of a house, you don't realize how much the furniture and your decorations absorb sound. So even though it was this tiny little shack that I had lived in for so long, this tiny little cinder block shack, I was amazed because every sound I made echoed and reverberated. And so I was just sitting on the floor, you know, finishing the Bible. But there was a lot that I really didn't take in at the time. It kind of washed over me. But reading the book of Proverbs right now, I'm just blown away by how great it is, Uh, you know, to the point where I I thought about reading some of of it on here. I'm not sure how attractive that is. I feel like I already do a lot of things that are pretty unbearable. And when I read passages from things, I don't know how, (laughs) I don't know how good that is for this show. But there's some great, great material relating to faith, piety, just all the things, all the essentials in the book of Proverbs. And what's funny about that is I thought that I didn't like the book of Proverbs when I read it in 2018. I remember being really bored. But I was also figuring out faith at the time. You know, I feel when I read it in 2018, while I was already, you know, in a period of deep spiritual study, when it came to the Bible, I wasn't really approaching it from a point of view of faith. I was approaching it more like an exercise, maybe. And so being through some of the life experiences I've been through in the three years or however long it's been since then, two and a half, uh, you know, I obviously have a different way of seeing it. And the book of Proverbs is resonating with me a lot. But it is, you know, I do kind of, I don't know, it's interesting, even though we think of paganism as the antithesis of Christianity, the reality is, is that Paganism is the antithesis to whatever's dominant, to the dominant theology, the dominant way of thinking, way of seeing the world. I don't want to think of it strictly as a, re- a response to religion, because I think that spirituality and religion are increasingly becoming pagan in this part of the world, no matter what they are, which is why I include Christianity in that. I believe that You know, even if someone doesn't consider themselves an atheist, I believe we live in a time where atheism, the way of viewing the world, is increasingly atheistic. And as a result, everything that is not atheistic is a form of paganism. Because as I said, paganism to me, somebody else might disagree. Somebody might be like, eh, it's not with the definition. If you look it up in the dictionary, you could see where, you know, paganism couldn't possibly include Buddhism and Islam and Judaism and Christianity, so you can't possibly include those things. Well, guess what? It does. Update your dictionary. Update your update your dictionary about everything, man. We saw where they updated the dictionary last year, a, a spur of the moment. One of the main dictionaries changed the definition of something to fit a very specific political process that was going on. They literally changed something overnight to accommodate a certain political party. That was incredible to see that. And so because of that, I'm willing to change the definition of paganism right here, right now. And I'll eventually probably have more words to say about that. But as I explained before, you know, I see paganism as using any tool available to you to inhabit the world, which is why I don't see technology as... It's not at odds with paganism if you are using it truthfully, if you are inhabiting it while you are using it, if you are using it in a meaningful way. Technology isn't anti-spiritual either. I've had spiritual experiences via technology. I've actually had many. But you have to be using it truthfully. You have to be inhabiting it as yourself. Because what paganism means to me is using the tools that are available to you as an extension of yourself. And if those tools are an extension of yourself, how could you not use them truthfully? Because the second you don't use them honestly, the second you don't use them in a meaningful way, they're no longer an extension of you. They are just something that causes you dread and anxiety and godlessness. (laughs) They are something that makes you angry all day. Like if you use technology just to scroll through the news and get upset or to look through social media and feel resentment toward all your friends and family for no reason because you don't like how they think 
you don't like the way they express themselves in this the simulation of this human subconscious that we call social meteor that I call social meteor you know if you use it that way well no you're not really inhabiting it you're just a, another example of the all those amazing psychologists who write books about how the internet and social media are destroying us. You know, meanwhile, those people don't talk about inhabiting it. They don't talk about how you can inhabit it the same way you do a book that you're reading or a car that you're driving or an axe that you're swinging. The fact that you can use any technology the same way you would light a candle. You know, you don't hear people talk about that because they don't understand it. They don't understand that yet. And I'm not saying I'm advanced. I'm actually primitive. That's why I call this stuff paganism, because it's not, it's not even, it's not primitive, nor is it advanced. It just is exactly what it is. And it's not that I think all technology is good. Oh, when those guys are fracking, when people are drilling for oil, they're just inhabiting the drill. Oh, when, when they launched an atomic bomb... They are just pagans inhabiting the, the, the aircraft that is dropping bombs on Japan. They're just pagans. They're just participating in a pagan, a pagan process. No, you know, of course there's horrible things. Of course there's horrible technology. But I do think that anything that is at odds with this increasingly atheistic, this increasingly, I don't want to say scientific, but this increasingly, you know, I don't know if this is a word, but since we're changing the dictionary, scientistic, because it relates to what people refer to as scientism, which is not an interest in the scientific process or the scientific method, but this total obedience to the idea of science itself, the institution of science. I would say that anything that doesn't worship the microscope just because it's a microscope is pagan. But you can use a microscope as a pagan. This is getting silly, as if it was anything other than silly from the start. But still, even the microscope can be inhabited. But to worship the microscope as something other than a, a tool, that's scientism, what people refer to as scientism, which is, you know, a very popular cult these days. You see the placards in people's yards. We think science is real. I was talking to my friend Cameron earlier on the phone, and uh, we were talking about those, because they're all over here. You know, in Western Washington, and he lives in Portland, but just you walk through your neighborhood and the amount of people who have those signs that they have a big list of progressive values and they say, we think science is real. And I was saying to him, that reminds me of that bumper sticker I saw about a decade ago that says, we say Merry Christmas, which was an anti-happy holidays sentiment. It was like a minivan Obviously, a conservative Christian person, a conservative Christian housewife probably drives that van, and they're upset about people saying happy holidays, so they put this angry bumper sticker on their van that says, we say Merry Christmas. It's funny how the language is very similar to these placards people have in their lawns that say, we think science is real. Well, it's as real as anything, I guess. You know, you should just say, I think the scientific method... Is fascinating and helps us learn about the world around us. We should be conservative in our use of it, not politically conservative. We should be, by its very definitions, we're talking about definitions and dictionaries, the very definition of the word conservative, which is interesting that people probably don't even realize that anymore. Like conservative is one of those words that you can't even really use anymore without people immediately thinking it refers to political conservatism. But, uh, you know, we should be conservative in the way that we use tools. Like a pagan shouldn't check his phone every two seconds. 
Just check it when you feel like it. Check it as you naturally should or would. But not in a maniacal, frenzied, addictive way. And to stack your phones in the middle of the table when you're at dinner. To not have the discipline to not check your phone. Like if you if you don't have the discipline to stop compulsively checking your phone when you're with people that you care about. The phone isn't the issue. But it doesn't matter how many times you look at your phone. You know whether you're doing it compulsively. If you catch yourself. Just like the problem isn't that you have potato chips in the cupboard. The problem is is that you're getting up to go to the cupboard and you're eating the whole bag in an hour like I do when I have potato chips. But the problem isn't the potato chips. And I don't buy potato chips for that reason. Because I will just eat them in an hour. Inhabit the potato chips. Are potato chips pagan? Probably. I've said before, rednecks are the truest pagans I've ever met. And that's a great example of the fetishism. Like in the same way that people who stray from tradition return to tradition, but in this fetishistic way. Because I'm not surrounded by rednecks, I totally fetishize rednecks. Including the women, like like it's it is a sexual thing in a way. Because I think about like the sort of women that I'm most sexually attracted to are on the trashier end of the spectrum. Yet I've never been involved with women, and I I, I use trash trashy loosely. I know people don't like that anymore. I know people don't like it when it's put that way. You all know what I mean. You know what I'm saying when I say that. But those are the women that I'm attracted to the most. Uh, so I, I literally f- sexually fetishize rednecks. But I also sort of fetishize their entire way of life. But that said, I do think that they are true pagans because they simply do what they want. They inhabit whatever it is they're doing. I mean, nowadays you probably have rednecks who are getting diagnosed with like anxiety disorders like everybody else. But when I was growing up, like the rednecks that I knew just kind of did what they did. And they did live off the earth. They did hunt. They did fish. They also used like 50 napkins at every meal. They were also wasteful. You know, I talked about that a little while back about how someone I know made a comment once where it's like, you know that somebody's rich if they have paper towels in their house. And it's like, I guess you haven't been to very many poor people's houses. Only a wealthy or, or only like a middle class to upper middle class liberal girl would make that comment, which is exactly who made that comment. Oh, you know somebody's rich if they have paper towels in their house. You go to a poor person's house and there are like paper towels that they use once like thrown on the floor. You know what I mean? Like, you know somebody's rich. No, you know somebody is a an educated barista. If they don't make, if they don't buy paper towels, <laughs> you know, like, like that's basically like what it means. Like, you know that you are a, a poor by choice liberal arts graduate if you don't have paper towels, because the actual poor people that I, I knew growing up and everything, and they would just buy napkins like it was nothing and waste them and, and God bless them for it. Because they're closer to the trees than anybody. Oh, you're wasting all that tree. Oh, oh, they're tearing down so many trees to make those napkins. It's like those people are closer to the trees than you'll ever be. Those people are more like ants than you'll ever be. They spend more time outside than you ever will. Here I am fetishizing them again, though. Rednecks are ants. (laughs) It's a great example of what I mean. Where it's like, the reality is, if I was surrounded by nothing but rednecks, this show would just be me complaining about them all the time. Because there's a a trail down south of here, not very far, wonderful woods, it's the Capitol Forest, some of the most beautiful woods in Washington, but you go down there, and there's a shooting pit, so there's like loud shooting and drinking going on, there's people on ATVs just ripping it up, ruthlessly driving by you, giving you the finger... And the reality is like, yeah, that's 
I deserve I deserve to be uh, uncomfortable in that situation because I I sit around when I'm at home saying, oh, uh, did you know that rednecks are the true pagans and they're kind of like ants because they're closer to the trees than anybody else. Therefore, they can waste napkins on barbecue sauce fingers as much as they want. And then I actually go and spend time with them in the woods and I'm terrified and uncomfortable and they're loud with their ATVs and guns and they litter, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's the reality of it. So basically just wa- be careful what you fetishize. But for the sake of conversation, like the people I knew growing up were good people. And uh, I did consider them more pagan than, because I grew up going to Renaissance fairs too. And I, I felt like the rednecks I knew who couldn't give a shit about a Renaissance fair were m- more pagan than anybody LARPing at a Renaissance fair. But anyway, Anyway, um, you know, it's just funny how we fetishize certain things. You know, you fetishize the ordinary when you're surrounded by things that are extraordinary or strange. You know, an alien, you know, with big black eyes who comes out of a UFO seems really strange. And you're like, oh my God, it's an alien. It's an Allen. It's an Allen. Are you saying alien? An alien. And then you're surrounded by aliens. They abduct you and you're surrounded by aliens for the next 10 years. You're living in an alien colony. And suddenly you think like humans are weird. Next time you see a human, you're like, wow, you know what? Humans are really strange. Aliens are normal. You know, you adjust to whatever it is you're around. And you start to fetishize the things that you're not around. I don't know. I don't. It's probably not how fetishes work, but it's it's. Hey, I'm, I'm making up my own definitions. I'm making up up my own. I'm explaining everything. This episode is me explaining to you how everything works, and I'm right because I'm the expert. We think science is real. We think Eric is real. Now that's we think Eric is right. You know that somebody's really. Uh, you know. You know somebody's. Uh, on the right side of history, if they have a sign in their their yard that says, we think Eric is right. But I was joking with Cameron. I was saying, you know, I want to make one of those signs a parody of those signs. Because they say, like, we think science is real. We think no human is illegal. We think, I don't even know what they all say. But it's all, like, the major talking points. And uh, I was I was like, I want to make a parody of that. But not to, not to just do, like, the counterpoint, like, right-wing version. Like, because that's stupid. And that's what a lot of conservatives spend all their time doing is being like, I'm going to take what the progressives that I disagree with say, and I'm just going to say the opposite. It's like that's such a, such, a, such a stupid way of approaching those issues. Like sometimes it can be funny, but, you know, that's what got us into this mess is people just like trying to be the counterpoint, playing that game. It's what I was talking about with guns, where it's like you end up playing the game that they're playing Meanwhile, you hate the game, so why are you playing that game with them? And you see where a lot of conservatives do that, where a conservative would just take that sign, like, we think science is real, no human is illegal, blah, blah, blah. And they would just say the opposite just to, like, get a rise out of liberals. But, like, my idea is to do a parody of that, but to have it be about just something completely different, to have it in the exact same font, the exact same colors. I don't even have an example. I don't even have a punchline, but just come up with just just random things because that's what, what I like when I see those signs, I'm like, this is such a random collection of statements. It's what I talk about when I talk about like the political bundle, like the way that certain ideas have been bundled to where we think they all make sense together when they don't. It's like the idea that your opinion on gun control correlates to having a certain opinion on abortion which correlates to having a certain opinion on fossil fuels, which correlates to like a certain opinion on which stores you should go to. It doesn't make any sense, but they've all been bundled together through our political quagmire. And there's a word I forgot. I forgot what that means. A quagmire. Quagmire. You talking about a quagmire? Um, But these things have all been bundled together. We, We take for granted that they go together. Like the idea that your opinion on gun control correlates to a certain opinion on abortion or the environment. 
Like we end up taking that for granted. And then we end up with these placards in our yards that are actually a random assortment of thoughts. But we all know what those thoughts are and where they come from and why they're bundled together. We all know how they've been politicized as this one thing. When in reality, you could believe one of the things on those placards, on those signs, those yard signs, but not believe all of them. Yet so many people have them because they're just, they, they've invested themselves in the whole bundle. And one of the reasons they've invested themselves in that bundle is because if one of their opinions is not in line with that bundle, people might give them hell about it. And, and they do. Like, you know, it, it's what I've talked about before, where it's like, if you go down the checklist of political stances and you have one box that's not checked off, people will be like, why didn't you check that box off? And you're like, oh, well, actually, you know, even though I, even though I think abortion should be legal, I don't think we should have restrictions on guns. And, uh, you know, I feel this way about environmental regulation. And they're like, well, wait a second. You can't believe one of those things and then not believe the other. So it's funny how these yard signs are just like, basically what they tell you is, I've bought into the whole deal. But I want to make one that's just totally a, a totally absurd assortment of statements and ideas and beliefs that aren't just like a direct response to progressive politics. I'm not interested in being that person who's like, whatever you say, I'm going to say the opposite. I'm not interested in being that. But just to have a placard that's just like, you know, uh, I don't even know. I, I haven't come up with the joke yet. I'm just telling you the, the premise of the joke. I don't know that I ever will come up with the joke. I don't know that I ever will come up with that joke because I'm not actually going to do it, believe it or not. I'm not actually going to create a multicolored yard sign that makes a bunch of parodied statements, you know, in response to these we think science is real yard signs. I just think it's funny to, to do that. That was interesting. Inhaling this, it made kind of this buzzing There's some sort of sonic interaction between the puff bar and the microphone. That wasn't just the puff bar making a weird electronic buzz. At least I hope not. It was the microphone picking it up in a very strange way. But, uh, but I mean, really, like, I mean, it's a stupid joke, but just I'm doing the freestyle thing where you, your freestyle is just referencing objects in the room because you're not creative. I'm about to do that here, but it really would be like the equivalent of like having a yard sign that's like, we think science is real. No human is illegal. We prefer vaping over smoking cigarettes. You know, it might as well be that absurd. We believe in number two pencils. We think reading books Japanese style from the the right to the left is superior. We like going swimming in red swimming trunks. You know, it might as well be stuff like that. It really might as well be that way. That's where we're at politically. And you know what? Someone would be like, oh, so you like your yard placard says you prefer to go swimming in red trunks. Republican much? Red? Republican much? Republican much? Republican much? You know, someone would probably interpret that. That's how sick we are. That's how sick we are. You know, even colors, the color of swimming trunks you wear, if you put that on a placard in your yard, somebody would think about it. And when people think about things, when they ruminate, their minds go all kinds of places. But uh, Batty stretched out on his leopard pillow. He got a leopard pillow. You say pillow? Somebody gave me shit as a kid for saying milk. I didn't, I used to say milk. As milk, M, like almost M-E-L-K. Milk. I used to say milk and I used to say pillow. In this house, we say milk. In this house, we say pillow. Do you mean pillow? I'm going to update the dictionary definitions. Like, you know how the dictionary will tell you how to pronounce things. 
I'm going to update milk to say milk. I'm going to update pillow to say pillow. Pillow. I'm drinking milk and leaning and I'm sleeping on a pillow. I'm drinking milk and I'm sleeping on a pillow. That's what that's what my yard sign. I, here's the joke. In this house, we drink milk. In this house, we sleep on pillows. In this house, our puff bar makes a weird electronic sound when we inhale in front of the microphone. In this house, there is a smaller house. That'd, that'd be a good sign. In this house, there is a smaller house. And inside of that house, there's an even smaller house. And yes, there's an even smaller house in that house. And don't you dare call it a Russian nesting doll. Because it's really just a house within a house within a house. It's not a Russian nesting doll. A house within a house within a house. In this house, we believe in houses within houses within houses. And in each one of those houses, there's a smaller carton of milk. In each one of those houses, there is a smaller and smaller pillow. P-E-L-L-O-W. M-E-L-K. And you know what? They're both white. We drink white milk and we sleep on white pillows. You can really just lose your mind with anything these days. This land is mine. God gave this land to me. This brave, this golden land to me. And when the morning sun reveals her hills and plains, I see a land where children.